Ransomware and data breach cases are surging. You can't go more than a day or two without hearing about another high-profile organization getting hit. It's a high-stakes game of cat and mouse. The question is, are you ready for the game? Hi everyone and welcome to the Resilient Journey podcast sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host Mark Hoffman and today we continue our series on the biggest risk facing organizations today, cybersecurity. My guest is Patrick Burke. Patrick is the national practice leader for Hub International's cyber liability practice. He's based in Toronto, Canada and his expertise goes way beyond insurance. He also provides technical expertise and has a clear understanding of the relationship between the insurance company, the breach coach, and the insured organization. Recently, I spoke with Patrick about trends in cybersecurity, incident response plans, how to leverage legal counsel, and why smaller companies can't afford to ignore the cybersecurity risk. And is negotiating with threat actors really a thing? We'll get into it with Patrick right after we hear from my friends at Clear Risk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Patrick, thanks for doing this and welcome to the Resilient Journey podcast. Before we get into the meat of this, uh, give us a little background on yourself, what you do and how you got started in all of this. Sure thing, Mark. Thank, thanks for having me uh, on, uh, on your show. Um, so uh, my role is the, uh, the National Cyber Practice Leader at Hub Insurance Brokers. So Hub is a fairly uh, large insurance broker, one of the largest in the world. Um, I lead our national cyber practice. Uh, I, I've been in the world of uh, cyber insurance placement and advisory for, I'm going to say, about 12 years specifically to cyber. Um, but my background has always been on specialty, uh, specialty risk. So placement of things like professional liability and technology and crime policies and directors and officers. And I've been on the broker side since about 2006. Prior to that, I was on the company side, um, working for a large insurance company and specifically claims as it relates to all of those specialties. Um, and prior to that, I was in the uh, private practice of law. So uh, I try to ask that people not hold it against me as I'm a recovering lawyer from private practice, having found salvation in insurance. So um, <laughs> the uh, claims background helps to inform clients on how this wonderful world of cyber uh, uh, exists and all the different things that are important when it's handling a cyber claim. Well, that's great. We're all getting bombarded right now with news of cyber attacks, ransomware, data breaches. I mean, one headline I read recently called it a surge, and that's certainly where we are. What are you seeing with the landscape when it comes to cybersecurity, ransomware, data breaches, and what trends might you be seeing as well? Sure, Mark. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. It's impossible um, to pick up a paper, a newspaper, or read something on, on the web that doesn't speak to some sort of latest cyber attack. And, and of course, these, these are taking place across 
all industry. No industry is immune. As I like to say, the uh, threat actors are entirely industry agnostic. Um, the, the trends that we're, we're seeing is, is certainly a rise in things. It's, it's partly, I would suggest, and due to you know, the current state of, of, of the world dealing with lockdowns and pandemics and people working from home and companies having to very quickly pivot towards uh, a different way of working, um, remote working and perhaps systems not being all set up uh, and designed specifically for that. So um, we, we're seeing certainly a rise in, in, in all sorts of attacks. Um, ransomware is, is rampant, um, and that's been evidenced in how the insurance industry is responding, responding to that. Um, you know, we, we, can, we can talk about a lot of different statistics, um, but what I can share from some sources like companies like Coveware and Scientia you know, average ransom payments are definitely going up. I think in, uh, at the end of Q4 of 2020, the average uh, ransom payment had risen to about 220,000, which is up by about 43% from the same time uh, in 2021. The average number of days that systems are shut down are, are much longer. So all of these will play into the overall cost that's associated with these, uh, with these attacks. So sometimes it's not just the ransom that's paid, but it's all the triage costs that go around it. And that's where it's so important to make sure that there's specialists involved to help you deal with these sorts of things. And of course, that you're aligned with the right insurance company to help you. You talked about the average number of days of being offline uh, increasing. That ties into the importance of all of the different members of the team. Like This is not just an IT problem. When it comes to making decisions during an attack or building that response or making sure that you're handling it properly, who would you suggest does need to come to the table to respond to that? So, so it's a, it's a very good point, Mark. And it it seems kind of somewhat obvious, I suppose that, you know, you need to bring in support to deal with these sort of circumstances. But unfortunately we see too often companies take the do-it-yourself approach to handling any kind of a, of a cyber incident. You know, the, there, there's something that goes on with the system that prompts a call to the IT or to the outsourced IT company to say, hey, what's going on? And in the efforts to try to fix it, things can often be made worse. Um, it's a little bit like walking all over a crime scene. So it is absolutely critical to bring the right people to the table as quickly as possible. And our recommendation with our clients is to have that all set out in what we call an incident response plan. So it's kind of like the handbook, the playbook that you pull off the shelf if there is an incident and rest assured you're pulling it off the shelf as opposed to trying to locate it on your computer system that might be down. And as you flip through the pages, you can identify all the right professionals you want. It may be that as a, as I said, a, a recovered lawyer, I'm a little bit biased towards who gets the first call, but I would suggest that it's, it's the external um, lawyer or, or breach coach, as we like to refer to them as. Uh, they can get that first call, you know, typically at 7 p.m. on a Friday of a long weekend. And the benefit of bringing the lawyer to the table immediately, and we're talking about specialists who do this uh, as, as a focus of their practice, um, they can help to quarterback the approach. And whether it means bringing in 
crisis management consultants, forensic investigators, public relations consultants, their ability to quarterback that while at the same time, of course, managing the expectations of the client, asking them what's going on, helping them with the legal landscape of what to do and what their legal obligations might be. The lawyer has a better chance of being able to secure everything that's being done under solicitor client privilege. And so that's a, and that's a very important aspect to what all is done. So lots of different participants, uh, professionals that should be brought in. And the incident response plan is something that can lay all that out for, uh, for our corporate clients. When I do um, an incident response plan or a cyber response playbook, whatever title you want to put on it, it's, it's essentially what you're describing. I always encourage people to make sure they understand the rules of engagement for the insurance company, for the breach coach, what number to call, policy information, expected response time, SLAs, and things like that. Absolutely. Um, that in, in the incident response planning that, that I've been a part of as well, Mark, we are we we think it's a great idea for one section of the incident response plan to contain a, a summary of the insurance the insurance coverage so it's a quick flip of the page to find out okay what kind of limits do we have what deductibles what are the key elements of coverage that do we have do, do we have coverage for incident response do we have coverage for business interruption where are the telephone numbers for the claims personnel um, what are the emails? How do I notify this? Who's the broker on the policy as well? All those things are, are really important to capture when you're dealing with an incident. And of course, bringing the insurance company to the table sooner rather than later is, is always a best approach. So I want to clarify something here now. So we've talked about a breach coach. We've talked about an insurance company. My experience has been whenever there is a, a cyber incident like this and we call the hotline, you're exactly right. It's a breach coach that comes to the table. And generally that breach coach is external counsel. It's a law firm that focuses on cyber response. Explain to the listeners and to me, frankly, what the relationship is between the insurance company and the breach coach slash law firm. And I guess a specific question is going to be buried in here too, Patrick, and that is whose best interest does that external counsel, you know, have in mind? Are they trying to protect the insurance company? Are they trying to protect you, the insured? Is it a mix of the two? Just if you could explain the whole relationship, please. So, so I think that's an excellent, an excellent point, Mark. And, and one of the things that we try to do in our practice is to, you know, hold the hand of the client and guide them and give them advice in that claims process to know Whose job is is it to do what? Who's out for my interest? You know, tell tell me what the roles of all the participants in this process are. What I would say is that the the breach coach lawyers are are typically on a on a roster on a panel that the insurance company has. It, it's a select number of people that do that that are really uh, focused in that area, and and their job uh, is to represent the interests of the insured and get them through the incident. There, they will certainly report what, of, what all is going into the insurance company, but when it comes to issues such as coverage and whether or not the policy is gonna to respond to certain sorts of things, that, that's not typically the purview of, of the breach coach lawyer. They, they wanna get in there and they wanna handle the situation as best they can, 
that's that's principally what uh, what their role is. A- at the end of the day, you know, everybody has the interest of the insured uh, at heart. Um, everybody wants to make sure that the incident can be contained, can be done quickly, can be done cost effectively, and help help the insured get back up and running. Now, when we we talk about the breach coach being an external counsel, a law firm that's dedicated typically to, to cyber response, should organizations be content with that or should they bring their own either internal or pre-existing relationships with external counsel to the table as well? And if you recommend that, how do they typically work that out with the insurance company to get you know that multiple legal representation, that, that multiple view? Sure. It, it, it can be, I suppose, a little bit complicated. And we're usually dealing in those circumstances with obviously large, large corporate clients. I think there's definitely a role for in-house counsel to play, certainly, um, when it comes to these sorts of incidents. And the, the role that they have played is, is, is part of an ecosystem internally, if you will. You're, you're likely going to want to have a representative from HR, for example, to help message things with employees, somebody from finance, somebody from operations. You're going to want to dedicate, dedicate somebody who can make the decisions, the tough decisions as you're, as you're in the throes of an incident. And, and in-house legal counsel obviously has a role to play. At the same time, some in-house counsel play more of an operations role or a dual purpose of both legal and operations. So you just have to be, they'll want to be cognizant of what their role is and they'll also recognize that they may not be the perfect specialist to be dealing with specifics of the incident, some of the investigation work that goes on, perhaps some of the notification requirements under privacy legislation. You know, general counsel tend to be generalists that way. So I think they have a role and they can liaise with that. Um, as far as external counsel goes, we've had circumstances where there's a very strong relationship between our client and their external counsel. And they feel very comfortable with them having a role within handling the incident. In those cases, I think it's it's a question of having an upfront conversation with the insurance company to see if there is a role for them to play. You're always going to want to have a dedicated specialist if your external legal counsel does not necessarily have the right acumen to be dealing with these incidents. Then I think they'll respect the fact that a different expert has to be brought to bear. But Having somebody who's an external counsel almost acting like an in-house counsel because they're so familiar with how the company works, having their viewpoint, uh, I don't think ever hurts. Whether or not it gets paid for under the policy is perhaps another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, more minds who have the best interests of of the insured at heart, I I think having more of their say in what goes on uh, can be beneficial. When we think about decisions that need to be made, and and I'm going to talk to you about a couple of specific decisions in a second, but what do you see if there is a disagreement between the insurance company and the insured on whether, oh, I don't know, whether a ransom should be paid or any other decisions where there might be a difference of opinion? Does the insurance company typically have all the power when it comes to something like that? How do you recommend people deal with that? Yeah, so that it's it's a good question and, and an understandable concern, especially when you're dealing with you know ransomware events and the size and scope of some of these ransom demands are are pretty uh, pretty scary. 
you know, for large organizations, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, the average payout is, you know, probably about 220,000. Of course, that's for a lot of these incidents that never make the headlines, but we certainly hear of large attacks. Recently reported some large insurance companies have been hit and paying out multi-multi-million dollar demands. So when you get into these large numbers, there's obviously a concern on everybody's part as to should payment be made? How much can it be negotiated down? If, if it's a reimbursement policy, okay, so the insured is going to make the payment, how quickly are they going to be reimbursed by the insurance company? What I say is that the committed insurance companies, those who really know what they're doing in the space, they are quite careful to, to make the point that ultimately the decision to pay should rest in the hands of the insured. The insurance companies do not want to be seen as propping up a, an illicit business, an illicit business model. So they, they are there to pay if their policy permits them to. Uh, we're now starting to see a lot of sublimiting of that coverage because of the, the massive payouts that have been made. So insurance companies are managing themselves in that regard. But if there's a decision to pay, it's up to the company to do it. All the insurance company wants to make sure of, and quite frankly, everybody wants to make sure of, is that all information has been brought to bear, all sorts of research are done, all sorts of due diligence. Do we do we feel confident that in making the payment, we're going to get back what it is that the threat actor has? Are, they, are we sure that the threat actors are not on any kind of OFAC, the Office of Foreign Asset Control? Are they any sort of sanction list whereby there's going to be consequences if we pay? So it, it's, it's like I said, it's a partnership. And what the insurance companies, you know, you, you might say that the insurance company has the power to pay or not pay. That's, that's the sort of typical approach that people think about when they think about insurance companies. But I can tell you from our experience, the insurance companies, they make these payments. They just want to be extremely diligent in making the payment. Are we doing everything possible for the best interest of the insured before we make that payment? What are you seeing? How often does it work out? So if, if a company makes a ransom payment from your experience, what are you seeing? Are they getting the decryption keys and are able to recover? Or what percentage of the time does that work out? I, I think it's fairly, fairly high as far as being able to get the data back. But I think, but I think that's caveated by knowing who the threat actors are. And unfortunately, you know, this is a this is a business and the threat actors who are in the space are going to be known to the breach coaches and the forensic investigators who are are doing this on a daily basis so once again heeding the advice of the experts that get called they're going to have the better view and lens as to the chances of success of getting information back I was just going to say, when I talk to customers about what decisions they're going to have to make during a cyber attack, one of the things that I, I bring up is you're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not you're willing to negotiate with the threat actor. And a lot of times they look at me like I'm, I've lost my mind. <laughs> but I talk about exactly what you just said. No, your insurance company, your breach coach, they're going to be aware of the reputation of the bad actor. And they're going to be able to give you some advice on that. So that would also tie over to, to paying the ransom. So that's, you know, that, that's just kind of an interesting perspective. Do you have any other advice when it comes to things like paying ransom? I, I, I think you've, you've said it well, Mark. I agree with all of that. Part, part of what we're dealing with here is 
you know, this threat actor ecosystem that is extremely sophisticated. I, I mean, we, we're at the point where ransomware is now, I mean, we talk about software as a service. It's ransomware as a service now too. We have threat actors who set up the mechanism to make demands of companies and then they license that to other threat actors to say, look, I've, I've found this channel, go ahead and use it. Uh, I want a percentage cut of whatever it is that you collect from this, this, this poor company. So we're talking about a highly sophisticated uh, group. And, and so that's why you want to fight fire with fire and have all of these specific experts uh, in the cy cybersecurity space whether it's breach coach lawyers, forensic firms, uh, crisis management firms, they're going to be the ones who are going to be able to give you the best advice. It is typical that demands can be negotiated down because let's face it, these, these threat actors aren't really all that interested in sticking around. It's, it's the modern day smash and grab. They want to take their money and go. So they're, they're happy to take a percentage of something rather than hundred percent of nothing uh, if, if they can go there. So, the, the specialists that you you bring in will most definitely help with with all of that and uh, and it's 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 important uh, for for companies to know that they they have access to those specialists to help them yeah that's really interesting now I've worked with a client who has literally told me they're not too worried about cyber attacks because they felt they were too small or too boring to be of interest <laughs> to any threat actors. If you sure. had to give one piece of advice to an organization, maybe somebody's listening and they realize uh, they're kind of behind the curve on this, what would that advice be? What are a couple of things that they must do? And on top sure. of that, what would you say to somebody who thinks now nah, we're too small or too boring? Sure. Well, well, first of all, I'd say, look, nobody, nobody ever wants these sorts of things to happen. Of course, they're happening far more frequently than people people imagine. And at the end of the day, uh, when these things happen, as, as we like to say, there's two, two questions. Who, who are you going to call and how are you going to pay for it? Um, for the smaller operations and the smaller companies, the question of who to call um, is, is an open question. Uh, they probably don't have access to all the wonderful um, you know, groups of professionals and professionals on speed dial that large, large organizations have by buying an, an insurance policy, a cyber policy, suddenly this, the smaller firms will now have access to the same experts that the larger firms do. So who you're going to call these smaller shops will get access to that. And secondly, as far as how are you going to pay for it? Once again, these policies are going to be the most cost-effective retainer you could ever imagine if there's ever going to be an attack. There's a very interesting uh, survey that was done through something called the Scientia Institute. Um, they work very closely with Advisin and some other uh, partners in aggregating and analyzing data. And what was very interesting as far as they saw statistically is large, large organizations, we're talking about multi-billion dollar firms, when they experience a cyber event, the expected cost to them is, is a pittance. It is like we're talking 0.000003% of annual revenues. Large organizations have the bandwidth often to deal with this. It's not that they want to pay out millions of dollars, of course, but they have the bandwidth to deal with it. Whereas if a smaller operation is hit, 
in the same sort of way, the impact on their earnings is far more catastrophic than it is for a larger firm. Um, you know, a, a small business that brings in a couple hundred thousand in business statistically, that's probably going to wipe out about 25% of their earnings. Yeah. So smaller organizations don't necessarily have the bandwidth to deal with these sorts of incidents like larger firms do. And therefore, Hey, you're small. It's not going to happen to me. Um, again, these threat actors are agnostic. They really don't care who you are. They're looking for easy ins to systems, disrupting it, and then monetizing that disruption. And if you're a smaller firm, again, having access to things like insurance policies and the experts to help you um, is, is going to make that cost, the, the cost and the impact much more manageable. That's very insightful. And I appreciate you saying that. So thanks for that. So I'll get you out of here on this. Folks realize, man, I need to talk to Patrick more. I need to find out a little bit more about some of this stuff. How can they get in touch with you? Very good, Mark. Uh, well, there certainly can uh, can uh, reach me via you, but uh, uh, I am with Hub Insurance Brokers uh, operating out of our ca- Canadian office. Uh, emails of patrick.burk at hubinternational.com and uh, happy to uh, happy to take emails and um, I will be doing my very best to get back to you if you reach out. Patrick, really, really good stuff. I appreciate you taking a few minutes today to do this and thanks for being a guest on The Resilient Journey. Thanks very much, Mark. Some really good insights there from Patrick Burke. Thanks to our friends at Clear Risk for sponsoring The Resilient Journey podcast. In episode three, we're going to continue our focus on cybersecurity with Imran Ahmed. Imran is the co-chair, data protection, privacy, and cybersecurity for Norton Rose Fulbright Canada. In simple language, Imran is a breach coach. He's the guy the insurance companies send in to help you navigate through a cyber attack. We're going to get some inside information about what goes on when the attack hits home. Join us next time, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.